1: Welcome, everyone. Happy Easter. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Amen. You know, the, the, the Bible talks a lot about the importance of marking days and feasts. And so we see that in the history of Israel, how God commanded uh, seven different feasts that they would celebrate throughout the year. In fact, our, our Jewish friends are celebrating one of those feasts today, Passover, which was really just a picture of, of what we're celebrating this morning with Easter. And I think that's important, and God understood the importance of that, having those reminders, those opportunities to to pause and reflect on special days just so that we don't forget because it's so easy for us to forget about the significance of of certain events. And and this morning is Easter Sunday, resurrection morning. This is the morning that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the grave. But, but to say that today, this day is a day we celebrate, I believe is to miss the point. Because it's not just a, a moment, it's not just a day that we celebrate and then go back to our reg- regularly scheduled programming. Think about what we do with like Remembrance Day or, or Thanksgiving or, or other days that we celebrate. We, we take a moment and we, we pause and we reflect and we, we, we thank those men who sacrificed on Remembrance Day and Thanksgiving and so forth. And then once that day has passed, we just go back into our rhythm routine. And if we do that with Easter, where this is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but then we just sort of go back to our routine, we're going to miss the point. And for I know a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, that's how they've done it. This is your day. We, we talk about the resurrection, and then we go back to another series. But here at New Life, we, we're smarter than that. We know that we celebrate the resurrection each and every day, Amen. that the resurrection is why we have a faith, It's why we're here in this morning. And so what we're going to do is we want to, we want to celebrate we want to remember, but we also want to employ the truth. And I use that word employ on purpose, and we'll see later on in the message why. I think that's such an important word for us. But we employ this truth of the resurrection each and every day. Because I think that's really the central message of Christianity, of our faith. I mean, you think about the, um, the book of Acts records for us the messages that the apostles Paul and Peter and John and and Philip, what they shared with people as they went along. And and you would expect that maybe they would just continue on the teaching ministry of Jesus and and that they would have just taken some of Jesus' great messages and they might have repurposed them for their own selves. So maybe you get Peter's take on the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Or or maybe, maybe Philip does his own little spin, his own rendition of the prodigal son story. Or or maybe John, he would get up and he would share the the parable of the lost necklace instead of the lost coin, just making it more personal for himself. And they would see the same material just being recycled. That would have been the case if Jesus' ministry was only about teaching concepts and ideas and said, what was their message? Their message everywhere they went was, he's alive. He's risen. The man that you, you, you pleaded for his death, the one that you chose to let the criminal go free in order for this man, Jesus, to suffer, he is risen. The, the man that you, you pleaded for to be crucified, to die a, a most horrific death that would have amounted, essentially, to drowning on ground, on land, as his lungs would have filled with fluid, he is risen. The man that you tried to ignore and to neglect, the man that, that sin and death thought they had now owned forever and they had defeated, he has risen. And it's, it's one of many simple truths that sets Jesus apart from every other teacher, every other philosopher, every other guru, every other leader of every other movement, is that they all die and remain dead, but not Jesus. He is alive today. And if you think about it, that is a crazy concept to build an entire movement around because it'd be so easy to disprove. It'd be so simple to discredit the movement, just go present the body. But we know they couldn't. So they made up stories and they made up rumors trying to excuse why there was no body, but the reality was there's no body because the tomb is empty. He has risen. He lives today. And so this morning, that's, our agenda is pretty simple. We're going to look at three significant consequences of the result of the resurrection of Jesus, why that is so central to our faith, why that matters so much to us. And, and my hope is that we're going to discover it in a way that we will see how it matters on a day-to-day basis, how it is simply the most practical truth that we can now live out of each and every day. So let's pray. But we're here because of you, Jesus. We're here because of what you've done and how you've gone to the cross and you've given up everything for us. And you've made a pathway now that we can be in relationship with you. And I pray this morning as we we take some time and and really ponder the significance of what it means that you rose again, that it wasn't, wasn't a cheap parlor trick. It wasn't a publicity stunt. There was meaning and there was power in your resurrection. And so I pray, Father, that you would speak through me and that your truth, your power, this message of the cross would have such an impact in our hearts that no matter how many times we have heard this message, that we would be excited anew for the, the significance of this simple truth that Jesus has risen. In your name we pray, amen. So the first result we want to look at about Jesus' resurrection is is that's the proof that his sacrifice was forgiven and that our sins have been forgiven and therefore we've been made righteous and now have a pathway to God. That's our first point. So in in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, it talks about how if, if Christ has been raised, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins, Paul writes. See, essentially, I want you to think of the resurrection as being God's stamp of approval. Of God saying that the the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins was enough, was okay. And that He's approved it, and we know that because of the resurrection of Jesus. And make no mistake, there was no other way to deal with your sins. There wasn't going to be a do some better things, do some good works try to balance out the scales a little bit, make sure you give, make sure you tithe, make sure you serve here. None of that was ever going to be enough. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus offered himself to be that bloody sacrifice. Ephesians 1.7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Think about that for a moment. How many of your sins have been addressed? Every single one of them. There's not a single sin that has been left unaddressed by Jesus. The sins of, of lying, of cheating, of manipulation, of adultery, of lust, murder, abuse, assault, Pride, anger, every single sin that you can imagine, no matter how many times you've done it, it has already been addressed. I mean, I'm sure every one of us has, has a few sins that we have just carried this deep shame about. Where we just, we shudder inside thinking, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that I participated in that. And we're haunted by the memory of that. And Jesus says, that's why I went to the cross, to take that sin away, to separate that sin as far away as the east is from the west. And I I love that Jesus said east, west, not north, south, because the distance between north and south is the diameter of the earth. But the distance between east and west is infinite, because that's how far I've separated him from your, your sins. In fact, he goes on, he says, I will remember your sins no more. Not on judgment day. Not when you're feeling bad. Not when you've screwed up. No, no, I'll remember your sins no more. I will not hold them against you anymore because they've been paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus. And so there's no sin too big, no sin too small that Jesus hasn't already addressed. It's gone. But Jesus has given us much more than just forgiveness. Amen. See, if, if all he gave you and I was forgiveness, then you and I would be just a forgiven sinner. And that's not enough. A forgiven sinner is not enough for a holy, righteous God. And so he goes beyond that. He gives us an even better gift than just forgiveness. And the gift he gives us now is this gift of righteousness, of justification. And justification is just a, it's a fancy word where it speaks about how how God has made you and I good. He made you and I right. Listen to how Paul writes in Romans 4, beginning in verse 21. And being fully assured that what God has promised, he was also able to perform. It's a great definition of faith, by the way. Being confident, being assured that what God has promised, what God has said, regardless of your feelings, regardless of your experiences, regardless of what's happened to you. What God has said, he's done. He's made it happen. And so when he says, it is finished, take him at his word. It goes on, therefore, it is also credited to him as righteousness. Not only for his sake only was it written but it was, that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and raised because of our justification. Again, that word justification, is just a, it's a fancy word that just means to be made righteous, to be made right, to be made acceptable, to be made pure, to be made good and holy. And that's what God wanted to do. You see, it wasn't enough just to forgive you of your sins because if that's all he does, you and I are still an unacceptable person. Think about it this way. You, you take a dirty pig because a dirty pig's been rolling around the muck and the mud and, and all the other stuff in the muck and the mud that's not so nice. And you take that pig and you, you, you wash it clean. You give it a bath and scrub it. You, you blow dry its fine little hair and you, you brush it. You put a little little dress on it, some lipstick, and and attach a bow to its head, and what do you got? You got a weird-looking pig. (laughs) But it's still a pig. Nothing's changed about the pig, even though you've washed it clean. And if forgiveness was only what God gave for us or did for us, you and I would still be that clean pig. But he transforms you and I. You see, we celebrate the cross not just because Jesus died on that cross, but you and I did, too. As a result of our faith in Christ, he includes you and I and unites us with him on that cross. So when Jesus died, the old sinner, that old rotten heart, dies and is buried with him in order that when he was resurrected, we, too, could be resurrected with him but as a new person, a new heart, one that is pure and good and right and righteous. That's what we've been given. There's no dark corners in your heart anymore, John. Isn't that good news? There's there's no shade of, of darkness on you in your heart. Now, you might think, but I still have sinful thoughts. Welcome to planet Earth. We all do, but that thought isn't coming from you. It's not coming from your heart. It's coming from the enemy who's trying to tempt you and attack you from the flesh. But because of the resurrection, we've been raised up in the likeness of him. And my challenge to you is be fully assured what your father has said he's done. It's not based on your feelings. It's not based on your experiences. It's not even based on what I have said. It's based on what our Father's word teaches us, and he teaches us, and he tells us over and over and over again, you're new, and you're good, and I love you. And he wants us to embrace that truth, because that's why he went to the cross, to make all of that possible, because now that that's possible, we have a pathway to God, and that's what he wanted. He wanted to restore. He wanted to reconcile. He wanted to redeem lost man to himself. And that's what he's accomplished on the cross. And so if the first point about the resurrection is is it sets us free from our past, the second point of the resurrection is it means that we now have a future beyond this world. And that is good news. Because I think now we have a hope in a future that is greater than anything this world has to offer. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. It says, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do you, do? some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? He's talking about how there is a debate going on, that, that some were saying that, that you and I, when we die, it's done, it's over. And Paul was saying, no, no, there's a resurrection awaiting you and I. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. It's purposeless, it's pointless, if that's the case, if he's still in the the tomb. Because then all he would be would just be a good teacher. And there'd be no object, no no life, and no power in our faith. We would just be following another teacher, another moral uh, guidelines, another way of living, but we wouldn't have a living God. For if the dead are not raised, not even, sorry, moreover, we've found to be We are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ when he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So he's saying, now we're even saying God's a liar. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Then those who have all fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we who have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. See, we know because of what Jesus has done on the cross because of that resurrection that we've been given the first fruits in our spirit. So the fact that you're a new person, a new creation that is forgiven and washed clean and made pure and holy, that new spirit that you have, that's just the beginning. That's the down payment of your inheritance. And it blows my mind that that's only the down payment. It's only the deposit. But we know we have more to come and what's to come is a brand new earth suit a brand new body, which, quite frankly, I could go for right now. (laughs) I ain't feeling fully 100%. There's some aches and pains, and I didn't know that there could be aches and pains in those places. And this body is not getting better. But I can look forward to. I know there's a, a new body awaiting for me. But not just a new body, but a new heaven and a new earth. And you see, that's, that's what we can be excited about, because this world, all it can offer you is right now in this world. And so you've got the phrase YOLO. You only live once. And therefore, you have to get everything you can out of this world, because this is it. So you've got to get the most money. You've got to get the most trips, the most adventures, the most experiences, the most good times, and so forth, that this world can offer you. Because beyond this world, there's nothing. And if that's the case, that is an empty existence. That is a hollow existence. Because what will end up happening is you will live in a very self-centered way, where it's about me and my joy and my experiences. And, and you see it in, in the heart cry of so many people, where, where they, you boil down, what are they looking for in life? And they'll say something like this, I just want to be happy. How many of you have thought that in your own hearts, in your own minds, that I just just want to be happy? It sounds good, but but it's such a self-centered and such a small goal in life. Because now you will do everything you can to control and manipulate and use people and circumstances and situations around you as you pursue your own happiness. But Jesus said there's something way greater, way better than your own unique happiness. It's to love others. It's to offer yourself to others. And and really, the, the reality is that will provide a much greater happiness than you would ever find just on trying to seek your own happiness. Because it's better to give than it is to receive, Jesus says. But this world is all about me and my experiences and what makes me happy and what makes me comfortable. And we just never quite seem to be satisfied. And so we're, we're struggling. But you and I can know that there's something greater than what we're experiencing right now. And what that means is for today, we don't ignore today. It means that I can be willingly. I can, I can sacrifice. I can give. I don't have to worry about today knowing that a greater future is coming, it also allows me to endure the, the craziness of today. Has anyone noticed that it's a bit crazy out there? That things aren't the way that they should be? We're not in Kansas anymore, so to speak. And, and if I look at this world and I see how broken and how, how, how hard it is, it'd be so easy to be despairing, thinking this is as good as it gets. I went off this ride. But it's not. Far from it. Our best is still ahead of us. And that means that we can take advantage of this moment, knowing that it has an impact on the eternity, has an impact on that future. But our best is yet to come. There'll be a time where a new heaven and new earth with a new spiritual body with no more flesh, no more sin, no more voice taunting you no more shame putting you down, no more insecurities, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more division, no more, no more whispering in your mind about others don't really like you and accept you. All that will be gone. And all that will remain is the clear voice of Jesus encouraging you, loving you, supporting you. Isn't that good news? That's our future. And I love how C.S. Lewis described today. He says basically today is, is simply the prologue to the introduction. That the rest of our story, the rest of the grand adventure, has yet to begin. And doesn't really begin until the day you die or the day he calls you home. And so we don't need to fear death at all. No, no. Death is death's got no power over us because. Jesus has conquered death. Amen? Well, if that sounds so good, then why can't we just skip to that part? Right? I mean, why here? Why the struggle? How do I I deal with that? Because, you know, our first point sets us free from our past, and that second point gives us a brand new future, but I live here right now. And I know for me, for a long time, this Christian life, I was living in between my past and my future. I knew I was forgiven, and I knew I was going to heaven. But in the meantime, I found it to be a really mean time. I found it to be a miserable time. But the resurrection is for today as well. And maybe that's the the greatest truth about the resurrection for you and I right now, is it matters for us today. Romans 5.10. Paul writes, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Man, when I saw that verse pop off the page for the first time, I I couldn't believe a verse like this even existed. See, I've been taught my whole Christian life that I was saved by the death of Jesus. That's what I was taught. But that's not what the verse says. The verse says that I've been reconciled through his death, but there's something much more. There's something even greater. And I was thinking, what could be greater than the death of Jesus? It's his resurrection. And the amplified version of this verse says that you and I are are presently being, being, being saved by his resurrection life. See, Paul, in this passage, he's talking about facing trials and tribulations and difficulties. And he says that the only way that we can endure them, the only way that we can experience them is that we will be rescued. We will be saved in and through them by the resurrection life of Jesus. See, this might be the the best kept secret or I'm not sure. I think it really is the worst kept secret in the sense that it's a kept a secret. But this is such a powerful truth that that Jesus doesn't just live and reside in heaven. He he lives where? In you and I today. Too too long I spent my Christian life looking at Jesus like he was a coach on the sidelines. Right? So you think about in football. Football is probably the sport where the coach matters the most because every play is planned, every play is called. And so the, the football coach and I'm talking about American football for all my European friends. Soccer. So, <laughs> sorry. I was a little too honest there. Um, but but they, the coach would call in the play, but now it is up to the players to make the play happen. And so if it's a, you know, a post route or a run play, whatever that coach calls, now the players execute. But the moment the calls play, the coach has done his job. And that's how I looked at the Christian life, that that God was going to will, that God was going to be the one to call the play, do this, go here, say that, do that, do this, and so forth. And then it was up to me now to execute. And me and all of my strength, all of my power, all of my abilities was going to somehow pull off that which God has asked me to do. But think about that. What is it that he's asking you and I to do? He's asking us to live like him. He's asking us to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. He's asking you to to love your wife as he loves the church. He's asking you and I to do the impossible. It'd be the equivalent of us saying, I want you to drop back, throw the ball, run 80 yards, and catch it in the end zone. Okay. I can try, and I drop back, and I probably get sacked. But if I don't get sacked, I throw the ball, and then I start running only to see the ball drop because I can't pull it off. But that's not what Christianity is. The the best way I can explain it in this illustration is that Jesus is the player coach. They don't have those as much anymore, but the player coach is where the coach isn't on the sidelines. He's where? He's on the field. And so he's not just calling the plays. He's now going to execute the play. And that's what Philippians 2 says, that God is in you both to will and to do, to perform, to make it happen. It's the greatest truth of the resurrection that Jesus is alive in you and me today, and he's waiting for us to call his number. He's waiting for us to trust him, to do the impossible. And so when you get that ball, you hand it off to Jesus and watch him work. That doesn't mean that I become passive. It doesn't mean I don't do anything. I'm very much involved. I'm very much engaged because where did Jesus live? In me. And so now I'm going to trust Jesus throughout my day to do that which I cannot do, which is pull off the Christian life, which is his life. So let me give you some practical illustrations of what that might look like. Imagine it's it's late at night and you and it's cold outside and you crawl into your bed and you know that moment where you just head hits the pillow. Pull that nice warm thick comforter over you and you lie down and you just you exhale and you finally rest. You know that feeling? Some of you are wishing for it right now. I know that, right? But and some of you at home are still in that moment right now. But <laughs> But you're there, and you, just, you finally and you get warm, and it just feels all cozy. And then suddenly, your spouse says, did you take the garbage out? <laughs> and now you start playing the odds. Well, OK, I mean, will they really come at 7? I mean, I know they say they might, but will they really come at 7? And, and how, oh, wait, no, this is garbage week. I have to wait two weeks if I miss it. So you start playing all the odds, playing the scenarios. Do I gamble? Is it worth it? And, and the whole time you're thinking, though, like, I don't really want to get out of bed. But your spouse looks at you and says, will you please take the garbage out? Which it, the translation of that, by the way, is will you love me by taking the garbage out? And so in that moment, you've got a choice. You could could now say, okay, you know, grit your teeth and go and do it. Or you can say, okay, Lord, I don't want to get up. I'm I'm comfortable. I'm cozy. But I want to love my my spouse. I want to love my wife or my husband. So I'm going to do it. But I'm going to trust you for the power. And you trust Jesus to get up and you take the garbage out. It sounds so... Foolish. Does does God really care about garbage day? Yes. Think about it. There's nothing, there's no part of your life that's too small for him. I think that's a mistake we make with him, is we think that, that he cares about the big things, but he doesn't care about the little things. Don't bother him with the little things. He's too busy. He's never too busy for you. And there's nothing too small there's nothing too inconsequential. He literally died and went to hell and back so that you and him could take the garbage out together. That's what he wants to do. Or, or maybe, maybe you're, you're struggling with a family member or a friend or a coworker. They're, just, they're really difficult to get along with. Just imagine John. Right? And they're hard to, to reason with. They're hard to relate to at times. Maybe they've said something to offend you, to hurt you. Maybe you felt rejected by them. But now you got to go face them. And how do you do that? Where do you find the, the courage and the strength and the stamina to face someone who's hurting you or rejected you or, or is disinterested in you or someone who's just hard to love? And the answer is the same. Jesus came to live inside you, to rescue you from that moment so that you would be presently saved by his resurrection power as you love the unlovable like John. It's the life of Jesus that empowers us. It's the life of Jesus that strengthens us. And so what, what we're being called to, what we're being invited to now is to employ that life. Christianity is not a solo sport. And I don't mean just in terms of we needing the community. It's not a solo sport in the fact that you don't do it on your own. Jesus tells us in John 15, the the night of his arrest, the night before he goes to the cross, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Take him at his word. You and I can't live this Christian life. You and I can't make a difference in this world. You and I can't experience the peace and contentment and the joy that we all long for in this world, apart from him. So he's the player coach. He's on the field. Hand the ball to him and follow his lead. Let him live in you. Let him provide the strength and the power that you need. That's why he rose again. That's why he lives in you and I today, to be that that God, to be God in you that you and I can't. That's why we have a hope. That's why why this Christianity is better than any other faith out there, because all of their efforts are trying to earn their way to God. Whereas because of what Jesus has done on the cross, setting us free from our past, forgiving us, making us new, making us righteous, he made you complete on day one. You don't have to improve. You don't have to get any better. You don't qualify for the next level anymore. You've got it all. And that all includes a new future, but it includes the life of Jesus in you right now. His spirit and your spirit have become one. Now trust that life, and it'll make all the difference today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we thank you for what we're celebrating this day on Easter, the resurrection. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would celebrate it every day that we would remember it, we'd be thankful for it, we'd offer that gratitude of praise, that you have made it all possible. But I pray that we would employ it, that we would put it to work, that we would let the life of Jesus flow in and through us, so that when the world sees us, they see you in us. And they see a hope, and they see a joy, and they see a peace. And that we would bring the light of this world, which is you, to all the dark corners of this world, that our friends and our families and our coworkers would have the opportunity to be invited into a relationship with you, and that we could trust you to to show us when to say those words, to to be open with our faith with words, but also how to be open with our in our faith with our actions. So thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for. All that you've sacrificed, that we might be one with you today. In your name we pray.
0: Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment eBook that is sure to encourage and bless Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.